Taylor, I'm home. This is illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie. This week we are covering Being the Ricardos, the new film. I was lucky enough to check it out. Being the Ricardos is a biopic about Lucille Ball and her husband, Desi Arnaz, the stars of I Love Lucy. So Aaron Sorkin, the uh, the writer behind the social network. The West Wing. The West Wing recently, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which he also wrote and directed. This is his newest film. And I was, I was a little taken with it by the end, I have to say. <laughs> but I don't know much about Lucille Ball. Yeah. I don't know much about I Love Lucy. I saw the reruns as a child on Nick at Night. But I don't really know much about the show, who they really were, or even have a, a proper context for how that is so influential for modern-day comedy even now. Yeah. So this was a really interesting movie to me. And I, and I was really taken with it. So I can't wait to actually get into the story of the Ricardos. One of the uh, influential things outside of comedy, just there's even geological wavelengths <laughs> that they were hitting. So <laughs> when uh, the show originally aired, when they cut to commercial, the water tables, like the water line and the groundwater would drop in big cities because the entire country would be going to the bathroom at the same time. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so, you'd be like the guys at the at the water plant, like just watching yeah. it. Like they have the TV on, like, oh no, it goes to commercial. Everybody's <laughs> flushing. <laughs> Hold the line! Yeah. <laughs> but that's all really for that. We're going to talk about film and TV and really what they did. Yeah, no, the film the film did a great job of trying to contextualize or at least introduce some ideas uh, about modern day television uh, and content production that they implemented and, and helped mm -hmm. uh, completely devise. Uh, so it planted some seeds in my mind. I went, oh, interesting. So this is where they really develop a multi-camera system where a live audience can see everything. Like, that's floated in there as just a little <laughs> piece of popcorn. We'll get into it. But yeah. there's a little things like that sprinkled all throughout to try to contextualize to you how influential they really, really were beyond just the show. Mm -hmm. Just a bit on Aaron Sorkin before we dive into all of that. He had been working on this since 2015. He's mostly a mm. writer, but then fancied himself the director on this this year since he had directed Trial of the Chicago 7. Right. Trial of the Chicago 7 had just come out around this time last year. Now, it's interesting looking at him as a director. They went to great lengths to put in this mockumentary interview, post-interview oh, with some of the surrounding characters uh, of the story that they're telling. And it just did not contextualize or set up anything, dramatize anything in a way that I felt added to the story. I felt like it was a little bit distracting. And I felt like he almost distrusted that his scenes would get – yeah. themes across and then he almost felt like he had to get these interviews in to contextualize it for the audience um so other than that right because there uh, is i was yeah. very much into his directing there is a lot that he is having to contextualize for yes. the purposes of the film it is one week where they're trying to make a single episode and then there were three scandals that took place over three different years that he is also then saying happened in this same week. So it might be a bit much or, you know. Who yeah, knows what, it's what the, the conceit of it is a little bit crammed. This is this is <laughs> yeah. a lot of things that happened over a long period of time that he crammed into five days that we follow day by day. 
I, I, it was just in comparison to trial of the Chicago 7, it felt like it was a little bit more uneven. And I think that comes from just the immense pressure that he put on himself to get this story right, even though he knows. And people he knows love he's not, it so much. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, this, is, yeah. uh, this is Lucille Ball. You know, it's I love Lucy. <laughs> I know that. And the reason we're doing yeah. the show is the younger audience isn't so acquainted. But this was one of the biggest pieces of content on the face of the planet for decades and decades yeah. and decades. And it is wildly influential beyond what we understand. That's what we're doing this episode about. <laughs> so let's break it open. I Love Lucy, the original show, 1951 to 1957, mm. six seasons. 180 episodes, almost yeah. 200. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That's that's not a lot, a lot, but it's, it's not two seasons, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the most watched in America for four of its six seasons. Wow. And also in terms of, oh, were people getting sick of it? It ended its run at the top of the ratings. No way. It was number one, and it (laughs) it ended. Went out at the top, baby. That's the way to go out. (laughs) Yeah. And also it it started strong. So within six months of the pilot, more than half of the country tuned in every week. So Lucille Ball had worked steadily in Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. She was the B-movie gal, Mm -hmm. met... Desi Arnaz on the set of Too Many Girls in 1940, and then they married soon after and pursued their separate careers. And that's the irony of why people are so fascinated by Mm -hmm. the show. It's the unreality of it all in that they're playing this couple and she's the housewife, but they never got to do that as a couple. That honestly is where much of the underlying drama lies for this this is a, a really intimate portrait of two amazingly talented people who intimidate the hell out of each other. <laughs> they, they think so much of each other that that is what will drive them apart. Mm. It, it, it was by the end of it is a really solemn, sad take on on simple things. It, the movie is, is saying that she really wanted a simple life, a yeah. home, a simple home. She had houses all, you know, she had like three yeah, homes yeah. or whatever, but she never had a home and the eventually this movie works towards trying to demonstrate to you how ultimately she was only able to achieve this idea of having this home on screen at the set. Uh, That's where she was able to really meet him eye to eye level to level in her own mind. And that's the sadness of it all is these two people being driven apart because they are intimidated by each other. Yeah, the only way they could be a real couple is when they were a fake couple. Yeah, yeah, on it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, <laughs> and I th- and I think that it, it takes somebody like uh, Aaron Sorkin to actually get there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I and I yeah. really felt like he got there, and I wish I could take those interview scenes out. <laughs> <laughs> All of that stuff is based in reality. In their first year of marriage, Desi was playing nightclubs till four a.m. Lucy's going to B movie sets at five a.m. They're just spending a few minutes together at dawn. And that's in the, that's in the movie, and it's honestly, uh, I, I'm hardly, I'm so focused on character, narrative, story that it, it takes a lot for me to step out of that and go, wow, this is this scene is lit 
beautifully. The images of them standing at the top of the mountain in the dusk of the morning, it was lit so beautifully I started to cry. Because by then, by the time this is given to you late in the film, you're already starting to understand how she is yeah. she is not getting these simple things that she wants, these very normal, like yeah. almost like just droll things and mm-hmm. this is as close as she's getting is these two ships passing in the night almost literally yeah yeah but this is all happening before even the show is a idea exactly the transit of their mind yeah and then and she they layer this while she is going through this week she's thinking back to how did right, they get right. together and what was it about them and you know and so you get you get that moment actually very very late in the film um yeah because it, it was 11 of their beginning yeah. moments Eleven years they were married before I Love Lucy goes on the air. Probably over $30,000 in correspondence, I think somebody estimated. Of those 11 years, really three of them were they actually together oh, in the same yeah. place because he's traveling around and yeah. she's working on the movies. So the start of her TV career comes from being dropped by RKO and MGM. She turns to radio and she starred on a radio program called My Favorite Husband with Richard Denning. And this was actually based on a book. It's about this frustrated, scheming housewife whose husband is a banker hmm. in Minneapolis. Based and on a book? <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she did it really well. She was also in two films with Bob Hope around this same time, which cemented her comedy skills and appeal mm. to the public. CBS wanted to adapt it into a TV show and wanted her and Richard Denning. Mm-hmm. And this is the first big groundbreaking thing. She insisted that her real husband, Desi Arnaz, be Ricky Ricardo. And this was quite the controversy for CBS to say, people don't want to see a mixed marriage on TV. You know, it seems like, well, that's dead in the water. Then how are they going to get this through? They performed it as a vaudeville version. Really? To prove, yeah, they had a whole thing that they did together to show, hey, look, studio, audiences will come see us do something like this. That's fascinating because they do take you through this in the film. They show you her doing a live performance of My Favorite Husband and Mm -hmm. then being being approached by CBS. And then there's a follow-up scene to that of her pitching this idea and then being very, very – Unreceptive mm-hmm. to it, uh, and so right. they. But they don't go into to any of this, any any further demonstration of right. how it was viable. They really just leave it on a turn of command in her dialogue, outsmarting them basically in the room. So this is interesting that they actually went out and and proved it. No, it was a whole production. Wow! To, oh my gosh! <laughs> to show oh, the studio oh, wow. that this was something. This was also when they start their co-company, Desi Lou, named gotcha, after themselves. Gotcha, gotcha. So that was the company that then put on this vaudeville show. Also the the precedent of women and then motherhood, because Lucy Ricardo is a hot mess. Right. And is not the perfect model housewife by any stretch of the imagination. Right. That's where a lot of the comedy of the show is really derived is, you know, look at look at this crazy marriage. Look at her all over the place. You know, <laughs> what is she gonna get into this week? And that yeah, and yeah. they do such an amazing job of of so much of the thematics of this is trying to articulate the difference between that character and who she really was. Yeah. It it was really astounding. And I think I I personally really enjoyed Nicole Kidman in the role because I think that what they ordered there, uh, you're playing I Love Lucy, you're playing Lucy, but no, 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 no. You're playing actually the actress that played the character who was very, very different and very, very, very smart. Mm -hmm. Uh, She just handled it uh, uh, 
in, incredibly. I, I, I really got the difference between them and ultimately got the longing of this very, very smart, comp- you know, just it, talented person not getting simple things in her life. It really culminates into this very yeah. simple thing by the end. So some of the other people you're talking about, like even in the artifice of the TV show, I found that the same people that worked on the radio show with her also then carried over to the CBS show. Oh, really? Which maybe also creates, not the not the actors, mm-hmm. the actors that play Fred Nethel, they were not in the radio show. Okay. But the creative team, the Jess Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. the producer slash writer, Bob Carroll and Madeline Pugh, who were both writers, then just they did all the episodes for I Love Lucy. Gotcha, gotcha. As well. So it's kind of interesting that like, she's able to yeah maintain these relationships outside of it it's also like i think as a from a creative standpoint a really good move too because what she's doing without saying it on on its face is that was radio we need to do a tv show and they're different things i i had seen with the writers they did pull some of the bits and some of the things from the show but like you're saying it's like it's all physical slapstick comedy yeah. that does not translate <laughs> one right. iota from radio but the, they but say good. in the movie that that is one of the that's kind of the reason they got the idea to do the show is because while they're doing the live version of it she is acting it out she is doing mannerisms and she's doing mm-hmm. her face and she's performing for a crowd um yeah and so they 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 actually like and they and they talk about where she got that from an influence that she had watched years ago so they they tried to show how this this idea was sparked before the executives even walk in mm-hmm. she is performing for a crowd even though this is a radio show and it's the first thing you think is like man she's really expressive for just doing a voice thing the next scene or the executives walking in being like we've been here a couple times and we see the way that you accentuate your voice uh we think that that belongs on tv <laughs> yeah that is one of as we move into the other sort of technological advances that they did. As you're saying, she wanted a live audience like the radio energy. And Desi was like, she needs this as well. But film studios at the time did not accommodate, even though this seems so commonplace, but there was no live audience. Fire regulations, the buildings aren't (laughs) coded for this. There's too many people. It just doesn't work. It was all canned laugh tracks. So they renovated two studios to make this happen. Wow. And so this is the origin of the live studio audience at this level oh for a sitcom is I Love Lucy. Oh and that's one of their one of their claims to fame, which is their collaboration again, where you're like, Oh, well she's it's I Love Lucy and she's everything. It's like, no, Desi is the is the, on the production side of it as well, making this happen. They have to devise an entirely new camera system that doesn't obstruct the view of the live audience and that allows them to go room to room on the studio right. set without it being so intrusive for there to be a live audience. Yeah, so that that's the other next thing is the camera thing, which requires a little bit of technological explanation because it's, it's kind of like yeah. physical logistics of it. So Philip Morris was the sponsor and they wanted it to air weekly versus bi-weekly so that means that she could not keep doing film so they're fully locked into this but they wanted it to film from new york because with live broadcasting i don't know how much they get into Mm. the nitty-gritty of this in the movie do they at all not much no 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 yeah it's necessary to understand then what happens with why it becomes so successful is because philip morris sponsoring it they said 
you have to film from New York because it's a live broadcast. So we're just going to film it. It gets beamed straight into the TVs of our Eastern and Midwest audience. <laughs> and then a kinescope, which is basically like filming the TV screen, then goes to the West Coast. Yes. Yes, but, this is relegated to a line of dialogue coming from right. <laughs> Lucille Ball being like, if not for Desi, the East Coast would be seeing this through a foggy window, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and that's usually what happened, but it was the other way where the West Coast would do that. They, first of all, live in Hollywood. They do not want to move to the East Coast. And like I said, then she's also, if she's already losing all of her other film endeavors, and they also yeah. didn't... Uh, Philip Morris is like, well, we don't want the East Coast to get a lower version. Right. So we're kind of at a sticking point here. An impasse. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucy and Desi, they say, here's the deal. We will film this using 35 millimeter film as opposed to just streaming it live where there's no film then for it. But this is going to cost more, but it's going to be higher quality. We will take off a thousand bucks a week for each of us as a pay cut to fund this but we also then get ownership of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the film stock yep and they're like fine philip morris the sponsor is like good but you have to produce it yourselves yep. and they're like cool we have our own production company from doing the vaudeville stuff yep we'll make it work so back to what you were saying about them having three different cameras and doing all these different things to get it in front of a live audience they could get it all at once Usually, this was the single camera and a laugh track. Right. So, but now they don't need the audience to react three different times at different angles. And this whole setup pretty much starts with them and becomes the standard in sitcoms where you have the three cameras and the live audience laughing, very little takes and retakes because, God, could you imagine with a live audience? I mean, like, now we have to do this bit four different times. And move the camera and set the lights differently. So that was that was the the other the final thing with this is the lighting. So this was done this kind of three camera thing. It's not like they really nobody had ever thought of it. It was on a quiz show called You Bet Your Life, mm. but everyone had to be still, right? Because you couldn't have them moving around the set because the lighting is all different, right? So Desi and Lucy got this cinematographer, Carl Freund, I think is how you say his last name. He's German. Is he a complete lunatic? <laughs> well, he did not want to do television at all. Oh. So what he's known for is Metropolis, which is the Fritz Lang uh, yes. artsy thing. And then also doing Dracula and the Mummy in the 30s. Really a pioneer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know this dude. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> One of the things he's known for, again... So ubiquitous, seems obvious. They called it the unchained camera, but literally just it's not on a tripod and it's not just facing one thing. Like, oh, you can pan it and tilt right. it and you could put it on a dolly <laughs> and you could put it on a crane. It goes so he here, completely... it goes there. It looks over here, it looks up there. <laughs> it doesn't just stay straight on the whole time stuck. So he did all of that, but they, they, they guys, guys, to him. what if we move it? Melting minds. <laughs> <laughs> they said, please come help us with this. And he said, sure. And he found a way to do the lighting across the whole set so that it would look the same for each camera and actors could move mm -hmm. across the set and it wouldn't be all a disaster without just blasting infinite light on there. And then the final thing then with all of this culminating, the higher quality film, the fact that they're not having to do this live and then kinescoping it, they could use the negatives of this high quality film for distribution of the prints so there's no need to kinescope it. And then they own the rights 
yeah. to it. They own the film, which then CBS huge did deal. Not think That's about a huge it deal, all. and I can't believe CBS just like let that walk out the door. But I guess it takes time <laughs> to learn these lessons. Because <laughs> the final thing they invented syndication, or as we know it, reruns. Thank God. Because <laughs> <laughs> CBS is like, who would want to watch this again? And it's like, well, clearly <laughs> everyone, because they made so much. I mean, they just dominated so much money. The world's first rerun is from I Love Lucy, rebroadcasting some of the episodes. Incredible. Here comes the scandals and really the, th the three things that mm -hmm. we tease at the beginning that they condense into one week. But why would you need to do a rerun? It's because in the second season, she could not do all of the 39 episodes because she was pregnant and needed rest. Mm. And so this then becomes the first big scandal of the time. Hard to imagine now. I see. But... There were strict moral codes that prohibited anything sexually suggestive. And so even the fact that there's a expectant mother right. implies the act of procreation, <laughs> which is suggestive by the very definition of the word. So the whole, the whole word was banned. Pregnant yeah. couldn't even be said at all. They had to use expecting or the French term. Ah. But they, they, they pushed through, you know, they, the studio wanted to cover it up. They wanted to use tall chairs, put her behind furniture, and they were not having any like of that. Like a prop. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> God. And again, with the vaudeville thing being like, look, people like this. This broke records in terms of, the, because they were able to time it with when she actually gave birth was the same Monday that the episode aired where she gave birth. What? in the episode what? because <laughs> you know they're still they're still shooting it week to week but they were able to line that up so she was in and they had said in the writing of the show it's going to be a boy no matter what but it just turned out that she also actually did give birth to a boy oh my god so they were like i'm the best writer of all time <laughs> <laughs> i have done it <laughs> <laughs> But with this episode that, that showed on January 19th, 53, the second season, 44 million viewers, which was over 70% of all American homes. Oh, my God. The very next day, January 20th, 15 million less people tuned in to Eisenhower's first inauguration. Oh, wow. That's a crazy amount of people <laughs> that just were like, nah, not that, but this, yes. <laughs> Imaginary people and the birth of a child on, on TV. Man, we love entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> so that controversy of pregnancy was more the conservatism mm -hmm. of the media at the time, but not necessarily the public. Right. That, that's very much like where the drama lies is, well... If we can present the main controversy, which we haven't gotten to, if we can present this to the public, can we get the can we get the press to write about their reaction to this? But I, I'm a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, you're not ahead because that's the next thing we're nah, good. discussing is the <laughs> is the communist controversy, which did affect the public and their perception, yes. perhaps. So this is September of fifty three. The pregnancy episode happened in January. She had gone under investigation by the committee that was responsible since the 30s of rooting this stuff out. The House Un-American Activities Committee? That is exactly it. She was cleared of wrongdoing, but two days later, it got out. Yeah. So it wasn't going to be even anything. And, you know, this one of their friends, Larry Parks, was destroyed by this committee. They really did snipe 
entertainment and Hollywood figures. That's a lot of some underlying drama here is that she, uh, in the film, she's already uh, testified to the committee and been cleared, but now a uh, publication is picking it up. But nobody else is. There's not publications aren't jumping on it to report the same story. Whereas usually, if there was some traction to it, if there was anything to the story, they would. They would reverberate that story and propagate it, like you know, like we know how media works now. Yeah, that wasn't happening, and so that that was that was where they were kind of living. Is well, okay, the press can write what they want, but the public doesn't necessarily agree with it. Now, how can we merge the two? How can we get the, the public's <laughs> acceptance to yeah. be what the press starts writing about? As you said, in the press, Los Angeles Herald Express in September, I found they used red ink to print the headline, which is kind of hilarious. I didn't even know they had red ink, she says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And reporters storming Winchell, who is the guy who is known yeah. Yeah, as an infamous, not a famous, but an yes. infamous sort of investigative fool. He was the one who put it in. I also, I had heard his name before in the deep recesses of my mind, and we had talked about him in The Plot Against America. Oh, really? Because yeah. he was also on Charles Lindbergh's negative train, lambasting him after World War II and the fact that maybe he was a Nazi oh, sympathizer wow. because he was so isolationist, and then it turned out he was. Oh, my but, gosh. Uh, wow. I, that, so he was he was right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. you knew. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> But he he also then was big on the Red Scare. Because mm -hmm. uh, he was right about Lindbergh. He's like, it's, oh, God, <laughs> we got to be on the lookout. <laughs> yeah. So why did this happen to Lucille Ball? She was registered to vote as a member of the Communist Party in 1936 right. and denied all the involvement in any activities because she said she registered as a favor to her grandfather. And there really wasn't much else. I guess maybe there was an event that was at something that she knew about, but then it was found out that she wasn't there. Like it was pretty loose. Yeah. So she, but it's people were, it's explained in the film as being a tribute in, you know, in, in, yeah. in marking only in that she never attend. She says she never attended anything, never accidentally attended anything that this was, she really <laughs> yeah. adored this man and did this, this one time in tribute to him. And the thing is also people had been blacklisted for much less right. to a degree like she was registered and it's like oh you're registered goodbye right so right that had me looking into why wasn't she and as i was talking to my dad about this because mm -hmm. he had said oh yeah she like so many people in that time got destroyed and basically what i could find is people loved lucy like that <laughs> was kind like the fbi file somebody that was looking into it it's they said it seemed to be assembled by a lucy worshiper <gasps> And Desi said that he was tipped off by J. Edgar Hoover about it beforehand, saying, oh, really? this is going to she's going to be interviewed and there's nothing I can do. Hoover had actually written them a letter because he thought the show was funny. Wow. Um, oh, my gosh. See, and this becomes one of the most unbelievable things about the film, knowing that the conceit is a little bit forced. The film culminates with Desi's like grand act which is basically having J. Edgar Hoover exonerate her over the phone in front of yeah. the live audience. And so that becomes the unbelievable thing is that he has a connection to J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> okay, Aaron Sorkin. 
<laughs> yeah, he none of, that did not happen in in, in gotcha. such a grandiose okay. fashion. Okay, but he did he have did a appeal. connection with him, so that starts that yeah. holds some credence, even though it might not be like to the to the T correct as the PR stunt set up as the climax yeah. of the film. But he does have a direct connection to J. Edgar Hoover, which seems just seems completely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And Desi did appeal to the live audience, okay. not to the viewing public, but told people, "Look, this is not her. You know her." Yeah, they, that so is on. what happens in the film. It's not it's not live. It's not actually part of the show, yeah. but he is warming up the the live audience, but then to cap it and like right. beyond any doubt, he has like J Edgar on the on the phone, <laughs> right, not which true, I'm yeah. like, "What?" <laughs> okay. Well, uh, okay, but I then you see how you Aaron said, Sorkin yeah. arrives there. Mm-hmm. The he does have a direct line to J Edgar Hoover, so it's not BS. He does appeal to the live mm-hmm. audience and does basically gives yeah. much of the same speech present in the film presumably uh mm-hmm. it's just the like two we said don't overlap but it is in essence a bit true and like you said as far as the parallels of audience to media people just loved her so it yeah. was okay yeah. that that oh she had registered oh that's fine and then moving on and she never uh, did again and she never did anything all right and she never <laughs> and she never voted she literally never right. voted again right from what i know yeah because <laughs> it's uh, like i'm not dealing with any of this yeah. so the third thing then is the tabloid issue, which takes place two whole years later in mm. 1955, on the cover story of Confidential Magazine, is Does Desi Really Love Lucy? Mm. This, to make sense of the show, happens in the midpoint of them their fifth season, so their oh, second okay. to last season. Apparently, according to one of her agent's stories, said that she read the article in her dressing room and everybody was frozen on the set. And, you know, what is she? And then she came out, tossed it, and said, Oh, hell, I could tell them worse than that. Oh, <laughs> undercut it, baby. Throw it in so the took trash it under and the move chin. on. <laughs> but most people say, oh, this really was. Yeah. I mean, everybody knew yeah. he was a philanderer and was out there, and that broke her heart. And kind of when it did become so public and so much ingrained into their life, a lot of people said around her that that was like the crumbling yeah. from there on out. The, the film so, does a great job of depicting that paranoia from her, not knowing feeling like she knows, not having the evidence. Uh, and yeah. and it does, the screenplay does a great job of planting things along the way that culminates to the end is a proof positive that he can't back out of. He can't he can't get out of it. Yeah. And because by this point in the film, it's the last moments of the film. And you up until this point, it's it's depicted as if you should maybe believe him. Maybe he's not. Maybe it is all the press. Maybe it really is. Yeah. And then she, there she has the proof. And it's really, really gutting. And then the, the movie ends with a couple lines about their divorce immediately after. Mm-hmm. The final episode of I Love Lucy aired in 57. And then there were three years where they did longer form. It was the Lucy Desi comedy hour. So these were hour long things that had guest stars. Okay. And there were only 13 episodes of that, but it's kind of it's kind of dubbed seasons seven, eight, and nine, but it's not really. And her and but Desi was, are still producing this together, even though they're yeah, not yeah, together. and they're in it, yeah, interesting. But the day after the last one was filmed is when she filed for divorce in 1960. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, as we said, he was a lot of the producing genius behind some of this stuff, yeah. but then also infused with this sort of machismo. Yeah. So I'd read somewhere somebody had said to him at some point, like to assuage him, it's like you're the I in I Love Lucy, like you're the main guy. I don't know. That if that's comes in the out. Film it though, does. But, it does come out yeah. in the film as like because uh, 
because Lucille wants Jess Oppenheimer to to also give executive producer credit to Desi because he mm-hmm. deserves it. Oppenheimer is basically like patronizing him by trying to right. like show like you have a title, you're the title character, and it goes really <laughs> badly. Uh, <laughs> so that is full on like a like a, a, a you know in the film um, and, it, yeah. and and going to just the rigidness and the the rudimentary sense of where we were as a culture here, like how how offensive that is to Jess Oppenheimer, but then how true it really is that he does deserve that shared credit. And the cultural Mm -hmm. aspects of everything here is really interesting to see that uh, portrayed. Also because part of the being the, the guy and being the strong man in the relationship, he is five foot nine inches. Mm. And she's five seven, so he actually wore four inch lifts in oh, his yeah. shoes. Did they have that in there? They didn't Just call like... any attention to that, and I think that's probably more because Javier Bardem is is pretty tall. Tall, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it's interesting the way they depict this is they have Jess uh, Oppenheimer kind of appealing to to Lucille Ball, trying to understand, like make her understand that like if he has, if he does, if it is true, if he does have an affinity for, for other women, it's not because the women, it's because of this, this thing between the two of you, you intimidate each other so much that at some point he has to feel like top dog because he's, he's right. a machismo Cuban guy. That's just where he comes <laughs> from. And that you're so big. You're so incredible. I love Lucy. You are Lucy. That at some mm-hmm. point he needs, he got, he has to spend time away from you to feel like he is who he is, uh, which is just, it's, it's, it's not an excuse. It doesn't exonerate it's him, but it is It's a fascinating relationship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and again, yeah. it goes to the point where these two people are perfect for each other. They absolutely adore each other, but they're too big for each other. I saw interviews with Lucille's kids and grandkids and they're just like, oh yeah, they're in love always and amicable. And it wasn't this, it was just a entropic breakdown and (laughs) what, what can we do now? So the aftermath is what's interesting to me because there's even more. It's not like they just popped out of existence and disappeared into the void. Desi sold his shares of Desi Lu to her in 1962. Wow two years after the divorce. So she then became, she owned it all. She was yeah. the first woman CEO of a major Hollywood production yeah. company. Can you believe That's it? That's incredible. In 62. And so just a couple of years before, they had both, when they were still both in it, sold back the rights of the of all the film that they mm-hmm. had said, oh yeah, this is expensive, we'll pay for yeah. it, we'll lose our sal-, you know. So they sold it back to CBS what? for 9.2 million in today's terms, which then was the down Dang. payment they bought they added to their studio RKO Studios, which was the one that dropped they her. Bought at the very RKO? Beginning. I did not know that. Oh my God, that should be in the movie. That because the, the yeah. RKO stuff is so very is... present. Her getting like told she should go to radio mm-hmm. from them is very is is outright in the movie. So uh, that's kind of, that's a little bit of a closing end, you know, thematic there. I yeah. wish was present. <laughs> that's the same year as the end of I Love Lucy is wow. when they buy it, and then that includes the forty acres backlot in Culver City, which classic i mean king oh kong gosh. gone with the wind it's all the it's all the like outdoor you know yeah. strips that look like chicago and new york batman was shot there oh. <laughs> so at the time when they got this then in 57 they had 33 sound stages that they owned oh my which was four more than mgm and 11 more than fox oh my gosh that's they hard the largest to even yeah. contextualize in modern day <laughs> 
in 57 oh that they, they were the largest independent and larger than the, the studios. studios. Yeah. <laughs> so, and she's the first woman to head it then in 62 once Desi. Lucille for president. So <laughs> what she then does is crazy stuff with it. And I forget where in the world we had said this before, but it, it, I remember yeah. it because Desi Lu was responsible for having everything to do with Star Trek. Oh my gosh, right. I've forgotten about that. I did know that. Uh, Maybe we had mentioned that in some right. random episode. I forget what it was. Oh man, yeah. I, 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 oh yeah, that totally rings a bell. But she, they were responsible for that, and then also Mission Impossible, which I think. Yes, 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 we, we did. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that too. Oh my god, this is crazy. So she, both, both of those were in '66, and she was the she her company and her was at the helm of that. And then, man, she knows um, what's good. Before that, they had a program that was an anthology of various things called Desilu Playhouse, mm -hmm. and they ran the pilot for this guy who was not getting anything from the studios. And it was an episode he wanted to make of a show called The Twilight Zone. No. And once they produced it and it was on this show, it gave Rod Sterling the leverage to go to CBS and say, see, look, this is what I was talking about. And then they made The Twilight Zone. You're uh, kidding me. <laughs> uh. So all that stuff is their production company. And most specifically, her at the helm. How of many it, of these things did you just name that they're still things. like wild, like still thriving franchises? Yeah, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Twilight Zone. We're still, and then and then I, I like it's hard if you're not in L.A. or whatever. But the Forty Acres, all these sound stages, like everybody. It wasn't just the fact that like Desi Lu was involved in this stuff, but they rented out all this space for like right. films forever thereafter. So Paramount bought it and merged everything okay. uh and thus you know obviously it's not that but that happened in the late 60s mm. so it was a short run of her doing this but even still i assume that the they closed down all that stuff and that there wouldn't be anything left where they operated right well yeah desi lu became paramount television yeah. and then cbs was i mean there's all these mergers okay. it's in, you can't keep track of it but yeah it's in it's right there in culver city it's all still there and go on some tours <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the big thing that I was the most curious about that again, my dad was like, she did not just perish. She had all this other stuff going mm -hmm. on, not just the producerial stuff, but she's an actress. Yeah. She's Lucy. Everybody loves Lucy. <laughs> and if it was at the top of its game when it ended after six seasons, right. where's she going? So after their hour long special stuff, she went immediately in 62, starts the Lucy show, which mixed things up a bit based on a book life without george she's a widowed wife has this trust fund from her late husband and gets into all sorts of shenanigans and okay. uh this was six seasons from 62 to 68 wow the whole time she's running desi lu oh my gosh she is on the lucy show and it won emmys for the final two seasons and finished at number two in the ratings wow six seasons of this thing the lucy show very similar to i love yeah. lucy but she's widowed. It's all the stuff after she doesn't have a husband, which is very interesting. That is very interesting. She both her and Desi remarried, mm -hmm. but in all the other stuff. So that went from sixty two to sixty eight. And then she had said, I want to do a show with my real kids. Mm, I don't want to yeah. do any of this fake business anymore. She liked that. So then the next show is called Here's Lucy. And this ran from sixty eight to seventy four, another oh six seasons. I had no concept of this. 
<laughs> oh, really? I was like, this, okay, she went and did yeah. other things, but I didn't really assume that there would be much continuation of the the Lucy character. I mean, and it's loose, I assume. <laughs> Variations. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They're always named Lucy, but the 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 here's Lucy, the uh, not- next one. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. That so that was that okay. one that featured her real children, and this yeah, yeah, is yeah. now their teenagers. So it's the generation gap between she's a working mother and her teenagers. Oh what happened in the second to the last season? That she was in a skiing accident, mm. and her leg was in a cast for the entire end of that season, which sort of reduced her slapstick. But they made it a part of the show, right? Okay, like the pregnancy thing, and and this show at the end of this was the first time that any of her shows had fallen out of the top 10 mm. in her whole career. Wow. But I mean, if you think about it, 23 years appearing regularly on TV, yeah. and this is now, I think it finished at 29, which is still not bad at all for all the no. stuff that's on there. But now we're getting into the 70s and she's being replaced with Mary Tyler Moore and MASH and these very 70s mm-hmm. TV shows. So the very next thing after she does is called MAME, and it was a musical film based on a Broadway show, which was based on a film, which was based on a book <laughs> from way back. Oh, and it's Lord. about this widowed woman who's taking control of her deceased brother's mm-hmm. son and, and house and everything. And this is her final theatrical performance. Got brutal reviews. Mm. Everybody hated mm. it. Said she's playing a caricature of herself. She's trying not to look old when she looks old. Mm. And like it was just a mess. No. So that was the last film thing that she did. And then she tried in 86 to do Life with Lucy, which was a comeback sitcom. Oh, yeah. Because Golden Girls was a bit, right. you know, she's a widowed That's grandma. Right. She's older. Golden Girls era. <laughs> but it was canceled after two months. Mm. They didn't even air all oh, the ones no. that they had done. Yeah. No. So that was kind of the, her, uh, you know, and she was mm-hmm. in a TV movie or something, I think. But all of that stuff still is astronomically important as far as like, no, 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 she just, I Love Lucy was not it. It was another 12 years of the Lucy TV show brand that was at the top of the charts. Yeah, I had no concept of that whatsoever. I thought it was just, oh, I love Lucy. That's all, you know, that's, that's, that's crazy. Um, Now it's starting to (laughs) contextualize a little bit more about how you see like uh, spinoffs and, you know, prequels and different series surrounding a topic that you were Mm -hmm. familiar with. Uh, This is very, I mean, I'm from a creative standpoint, I'm really drawing some affinity for her of just being smart of just understanding things are different and to reinvent it and lean into the characteristics of whatever is real and true at the time. It's like, well, let's use my husband. Let's use my kids. Let's do that. You know, like that was radio. This is TV. Uh, I I really use my skiing accident. Exactly. Exactly. I, I really am appreciating just that aspect of it. The unfortunate thing though. And I think that maybe it's like, tying back to the themes of the movie is she was always trying to be this thing that wasn't an act like she wanted to be a housewife and was playing that and then people maybe they got tired of that character or like over and over and over again and then and then because it didn't become because it didn't manifest in her real life so she kept trying to play it out on screen but yeah that magic was gone when when lucy comes back and her husband is gone i mean that that metaphorically should mean a whole lot to the heart of the person you're watching. Yeah. And again, she's trying to trying to live this idea of a home in front of a camera and it never actually manifests in reality. I saw from a biography 
a quote from her, and she had said, of all the 30 or 40 films I had made, I could only find three or four scenes in those pictures that I cared anything about. Mm. And I discovered they were the domestic scenes where I portrayed a housewife. Mm. This is going into then her <laughs> I Love Lucy housewife TV yeah. stuff. So it really was true that it's it's like what a, yeah, what a tragic, interesting yeah. back and forth story of who she wanted to be, but never it's almost sad it's you know you you have this image of what you want but in all actuality maybe what you were was a lot greater and if you could have appreciation mm -hmm. for what you really were in in all truth and reality of it then you it wouldn't be so hard to let go of the the things you didn't get in life um because in all and truth, as we established yeah. all of, yeah all of the entertainment innovations exactly. and standards and shows that we love and things that we come to exactly. forget completely were not just set in stone her and desi were the ones that made it so you know hopefully you'd say oh well that's my legacy but at the end of the day it's like oh i wanted to just go i wanted my, my husband at home practice. with yeah. my kids yeah. yeah yeah wow yeah incredible incredible i certainly grew a huge appreciation for <laughs> lucille ball <laughs> yeah during this episode so i i hope that you guys did our audience thank you guys for sticking with us this was uh yeah, um, I feel a little connected to her now. Um, now I want to go and learn a little bit more. So thank you guys for sticking with us. Thank you, yep. Taylor, for this week's uh, thank work. You. Yep. Guys, reach out to us on Illiterate. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're excited about coming on. You never know when we'll do an episode about that thing you want to know all about. So hit us up at IlliteratePod on Instagram, and we will catch you all next week. Mm -hmm.